Deuteronomy chapter 6. And as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses is getting traction now. He's starting to roll with his sermon on the law. Deuteronomy, the word meaning the second law or the explaining of God's law. He's in that last month of his life. He's explaining to the next generation that came through the wilderness. It's about to enter the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. He's explaining to them what God has for them and reminding them, exhorting them, teaching them, instructing them on how to go about their business as they now live their life. They watched their parents die in the wilderness, and now they have their chance to live their lives in the promised land and enter to the promises that were made hundreds of years before to their ancestral father, Abraham, fathers, uh, Isaac and Jacob, uh, matriarchs, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, all of them. And it's all come to them. It's all set before them, all the good stuff. And so with that in mind, we pick it up in chapter 6, verse 1, and we read this. Now, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you're crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all the statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you shall put them as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Later on, he'll say in the back part of chapter 6, when your son asks you, why do we do these things? You'll tell him because the Lord brought us out of the bondage, the house of bondage under Pharaoh in Egypt. And then even later on in chapter 7, he's talking about generations furthermore, and he says that, that the Lord God, he is a faithful God, and he shows, he keeps his covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. So we get the introduction elements of the generations, the commandments, obedience, the promises, the family unit under their covenant going into the promised land. And I share those bonus thoughts that came from us Tuesday night when we did verse by verse through the two chapters that again, when your son asks you, so it implies there's a time when the son's old enough where he goes, now, Dad, Dad, I really want to know why we do all this. And then that broader scope, it expands even beyond the son becoming of age, if you will, saying, Dad, why do we do this? And where you bear your testimony to your son, but it expands beyond that in chapter 7 to that, that God is faithful to a thousand generations. He's a faithful God. And he shows mercy to them, to those who obey him and keep his commandments. It just, it expands. Now, this covenant, of course, was a covenant with the nation of Israel about 1500 B.C., and it guided planet Earth and the human race for 1500 years under the kings, under the Levitical priesthood, during the captivity, return from the captivity from Babylon, all that around 500 B.C. to the time that Christ came. And Christ came, and he brings the new covenant, the new and everlasting covenant. We understand that. So the new covenant is the full covenant. So this is the shadow of things to come, but Christ is the new covenant. So as we look at this passage, we think, well, this was great for people under covenant, like black and white TV, where they had this relationship. Everything they heard was pointing them to Jesus. Everything they heard was telling them to live by faith, 
to obey God's word as they knew it the best they could and to live by faith and do the right thing as much as they knew and that the Messiah was going to come and he's coming and he did come. Now, for us, 2,000 years after Christ came, and we're singing these songs about the grave being, you know, Jesus' body being revived in the grave and those things like that, those are declarations of truth for time and all eternity. And we're the church, so we're very different in our covenant because we're not one ethnic people group in this covenant. We are all nations. We need to be reminded tonight that the church is all nations. All nations. And for 2,000 years, many generations of believers have come before us, starting with Peter and John and Andrew, and, and Philip and those guys, the original apostles, James the Lesser and all, they came before us and they went out. And as the, as the gospel message went out into the Roman world, it extended right to you tonight. We just need to be reminded tonight that us being here tonight, if you've given your life to Christ or have the opportunity to do so tonight, we're, we're the legacy. This church is the extension. We've been talking about this, but we're not randomly here, some startup new business that, you know, we took a couple college classes at OCC and decide we're going to start our little own entrepreneurial thing right during COVID. No, we are the church. And we're before lots of plagues. We've come through lots of plagues, lots of governments all over the planet, monarchical governments to Marxist governments to democracies. We're the church and we're right here and we're doing just fine. So just look around and smile and know everything's okay, that Jesus is on the throne and it's all good because it is good. We're in a covenant better than this. But what is here is certainly a principle for us, for our lives, for us personally, for our families, for the family units, for the body of Christ, the church, and for humanity in our timeline. So as we look at this text tonight, I really want to look at it from that perspective that we are the church of Jesus Christ in 2021. And we have his word to guide us in 2021. And the word is meant to bring us to a place to understand his love for us and to return that love because it's the natural response because God created us to love us and we're created to love him back by choice, not robotically. So for example, the Shema in verse four, the famous Jewish prayer, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's what Jesus answered when they said, what is the great commandment? He said, this is the great commandment. And the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. It's a famous Jewish prayer. It's called the Shema. But the Shema, they said for 1,500 years was a shadow of things to come, but we have the fullness because Christ so loved the world, he gave himself. By this we know love that Christ died for us. And we love him because he first loved us. That's our Shema. Theirs is black and white. Ours is full color to the fullest extent. Theirs is limited dimensional. Ours is multidimensional. Because there's a looking toward what we enjoy and know this night as the church in this sanctuary in the year of our Lord, 2021. So in this final sermon of Moses, and he, he starts off with the word of God is the word of God. And it's for us to guide us, to direct us. You, 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 and then your son and your grandson. And this is how it works. And so as we think of the text tonight, and we think about application. It really is about God's word, our life, and the godly generations. That's really what it's about. And so we're going to look at that. The first thing we see is we begin tonight as we think about his word, our life, and the godly generations. It always is the word of God. I am so grateful in all the uncertainty 
that goes on in every generation. And there's uncertainty in every generation. There are fears in every generation. There is faith and unbelief in every generation. There is triumph and tragedy in every generation. And this is our time. And I am so grateful that a time that has tested our world like we've not really ever seen us older people than anything we've ever been through, because really the last year and a quarter has been something that we could have never foreseen or understood or prepared for. I'm so thankful that God's word's been there to guide us in and through it all. Like, just let God's word speak. Just stay on track in his word. Keep reading his word. Keep listening to people who teach his word properly and sound doctrine. And we're not going to be moved. It all begins with his word for the individual. Because we do see this as, I'm going to teach you, teach you that you may fear in you. And that you, it becomes very personal that you and your son and your grandson. So that, that takes on personal. It implies a spiritual leadership of the, of the man of the house as well. But the you certainly would apply to the women as well in all scope. And certainly in the New Testament fullness where there's neither male nor female. We're all one in Christ. So we, we look at this tonight. And it does deal with the family unit. And, you know, some of us have younger children right now. Some of us have adult children. Some of us have no children. Some of us are single. And that's why I said I took us all the way to that as mercy extends to a thousand generations because it's so much bigger than whether you have multiple grandkids or children or you're married or single because the bigger picture is, is humanity and the church and the gospel for humanity, Jesus for all humanity. Because in the end, that's the end game, right? The end game is that every tongue, tribe, and nation stands before Jesus Christ at his throne of glory, and they praise him and sing, worthy is the lamb. That's the bigger scope of everything. That's the big scope of the ages, which which is all moving toward, is that every tongue, tribe, and nation is going to proclaim his praises before his throne for all eternity in glory. And as you come in from that, it's the next generation, your son, if you have children, saying, Now, why do we do this? And then it comes back to when they're younger and how you raise them, which you see in this text. And it comes back to you. Because before you have grandchildren, you get married. And before you get married, you prepare yourself to be married. And then you get married, and then you might have children, but not all married people have children for various reasons. But if you have children, you have children. And not all people who have children eventually have grandchildren. It doesn't always go that way. But humanity is always in need of the gospel, the church is always in need of people who serve and love every generation within their, within their gatherings. Look at Amy Carmichael, one of the greatest women in church history. She didn't marry. She didn't have children. Look at Sarah Yardley from the Calvary Chapel movement in, in England. She's forsaken everything just to serve the Lord that way. How about Sarah Hill in Kauai? Sarah Hill was an 11-year-old packing our bags when we were moving to Virginia to start a church. She's now 40 in Kauai, and she's been over there for 20 years serving generation at all these each school year of kids, bringing them to California do ministry in Mexico across the border. She never married. So we need to keep that in mind as we think about this family unit because the idea extends just beyond Jennifer and I being having adult children and grandchildren or what you might have. It extends to the overall your place on planet Earth in our timeline. So keep that in mind. And it is the Word of God. It always starts with the Word of God. It always starts with the Word of God. So again, I'm so thankful that We're not trying to find a formula. We're not trying to find a plan. 
We're not trying to find a rebuttal. Like, I'd be treating him in a liar. I don't need to rebuttal anybody. <laughs> Jesus doesn't need me to defend him, nor you. Let God be true and every man a liar. And his word is his word. And his word he's exalted above his name. And his word, heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will not pass away. Every cross, T, and dotted I. And that's our foundation tonight. That's our assurance as we sing songs with faith. That's our assurance as we open the Bible and Joe Henschel says, Lord, open our hearts to hear your word. It's his living word. So the whole human experience is based upon his love being revealed through his word into the relationship. But the relationship isn't robotic because we're not worshiping the word. We're worshiping God who gave us the word. We're not loving the word. We're loving God who speaks the word. I love my wife and I love what she has to say, but I don't love her words. I love her who speaks the words. And this is important to understand. I remember the first year I was in ministry, John Corson said something that got my attention. He said, it's not Father, Son, Holy Bible. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now the Spirit speaks the word. And his point was we don't need knowledge that puffs up or dry orthodoxy. We need the living word because Jesus is the logos, the living word, living in and through us and being in us and coming from us and being confirmed to us in the relationship, not religion. Nothing's sadder than to watch people proclaim God's word but not know God. Paul talked about them. He said, you know, they have the wrong motives, but I rejoice that the gospel is preached, but it doesn't help them. But it's still truth. A, A talking donkey can speak truth. But it's much better to have living disciples that are loving disciples speak truth. So the word is the foundation of everything for the family unit, whether you live by yourself in an apartment or you live with a bunch of kids in your house like the Deans and all those Dean kids as they begin to go out and do what they do. It's always going to be the word. Something has to govern your mind. Something has to govern your heart. Something has to govern your decisions and your life choices. And it's either going to be a godless worldview, some concoction of man's religious buffets or it's going to be the pure word of God that glorifies Jesus Christ the son of God who's lord of our lives who guides us by his spirit to fulfill his purpose in and through our lives those are that's just what it is we're either saved or unsaved we're either redeemed or condemned and so the word guides us and this passage makes so clear how important it is to guard the word in our mind in our hearts in our home, in our attitudes, in the totality of who we are. It's the word. God has commanded to teach you to keep his statutes and keep his commandments, which I command you. And then again, which I command you, verse 6, you shall teach them diligently to your children. It's the word of God reflecting the character and the person of God that is to guide and govern our mind, our hearts, our lives, our marriages, our homes, our children, our grandchildren, our influence in society, our, our service in the church and our influence in society. It's the word of God. How, how can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to your word. Thy word, O Lord, I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. All scripture is profitable and is there to guide us in doctrine, in instruction, in truth that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see... God's word, the Old Testament, is affirmed by the apostles, known as the apostles' doctrine in the New Testament, that we can apply it and live it. When they say the word of God in 2 Timothy 3.16, they're talking about all the scripture, including the Old Testament. 
And they were equipped to understand by the Holy Spirit what this word means to us. Thus, Deuteronomy is quoted 80 times in the New Testament so we can understand its application for us as the church in 2021. Not just the 80 quotations, including the ones by Jesus, which are two of which are in this chapter, when he's tempted, but all of it, because all scripture is God-breathed. It's the word of God, all the word of God. We need all the word of God over our mind, over our heart, over our lives. It is a compass. And as there's so much external pressure against the church coming from government, entertainment, politics, people with power that think they're going to have it forever, they're going to die and stand before Christ. So feel sorry for them. They're to be pitied of all people. For they leave their wealth the moment they breathe their last, and we go to ours the moment we breathe our last. Don't, don't fear them or hate them. Pray for them and pity them. Because ours is a glory that cannot be taken. Theirs is one they're going to leave behind. And God's word will stand against every attack they can possibly have against it in every generation. Every attack. And we don't need to defend God's word. We just need to believe it. We need to hear it and believe it. And apply it and let it guide and govern our minds, our hearts, our homes, our lives. Because the word is a lamp unto our feet. It's the governance. We're going to be governed. And man wants to govern and lord over other men with power and tax them and do all these things and put them under tribute and all these things, which man's been doing since the dawn of creation. You disagree, you just kill him like Cain killed Abel. There's nothing new under the sun. But for us, we are governed by the Lord like Abel. We bring the offering, we bring the blood, and we bring it in faith. That's who we are. We don't bring vegetables and say, well, that's just all I'm bringing, like Cain. You see, the word is the word. I don't need the Supreme Court telling our governor what to do and letting us meet in church, in houses and churches, for us to meet in houses and churches, just so you know. And I'm glad they say yes, but they don't stop me if they say no. The great kings don't fear Pharaoh Necho. They don't fear Nebuchadnezzar. They don't fear Sennacherib. They put the threats before the Lord and they say, God, we are your people. We're your bride. You love us. This is your word. This is what you promised. This is what they're saying. Defend your people. It's in your hands. That's who we are. That's what we do. And that's the word of God. That's why the word of God has to govern us. Because right now, the external pressures are there to let everything else govern us. The opinions of men that change. The redefinition of origin. The redefinition of gender. The redefinition of of marriage. The redefinition of everything. Of society. The constitution. The laws. Everything. It's all blown up in smoke right now. But not our kingdom. No. Yet. This hasn't changed one jot or tittle since the apostolic age. And it's not gonna. This word that we're reading right here will outlast every human government in opposition to Jesus Christ. His love, his kingdom, his bride. So we can't be moved and we can't be governed by the whims of deceived or even degenerated men and women who have power. We must be governed solely by the word of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian in that book that came out a few years back, best biography on Dietrich, 
He, of course, was a pacifist. So it's ironic he was hung for being part of the conspiracy to assassinate Hitler right before the war was done. Berlin was already being surrounded by the Soviets and the Americans. But Bonhoeffer said something about American church in 1937 when he visited here before he went back to suffer with his people in Europe. He said the American church is soft. It's soft because the American mind cares too much what other people think instead of what God thinks. He goes, the German faith is a stronger faith because they had already been tested and purified by that time. People like Bonhoeffer. Because we're willing to stand alone with the Lord because we know the Lord is true. There's something about the German mind, he said, that we're willing to stand alone for truth. Even that's all we have because, you know, it kind of goes back to Luther, right? I mean, you think about Luther and his thesis on the doorpost. Like, there's something in the Prussian German background that they're, you know, Mozart, Beethoven, all of them, you know, like they're, they're just, there's just something in their religious history that Germans, Bonhoeffer said, are willing to stand alone to take a stand for what's right and to lay down their life for it. And of course, we saw that so many Germans that risked their lives to save the Jews during World War II and stood up to Hitler and the Gestapo and the brown shirts and the Nazis and all these people. Bonhoeffer was one of them. But he said the American church, he said there's a future for the American church and I fear it and I see it. He said this 80 years ago. They care too much about fitting in and whatever else thinks and are not willing to stand alone for truth. Don't let that ever be said of us. Don't let that ever be because God's word is truth and we can stand on his word. And we will never stand alone, like we sang earlier, if we're standing on God's word and is governing our thoughts, our hearts, our mind, our affections, our passions, and our purpose. We can never go wrong. This is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall not let this word depart from you. You will you will speak of it in your house. When you go in the field and you walk, you will talk of it. When you lie down, you will think of it. When you wake up, you will declare it. When you go out to your doorpost, it'll be, it'll be on your hands. It'll be on your forehead and it'll be on your gate. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and it is his word. It's his word that guides and governs us. So we're reminded tonight in this text that God is true and men are in fact liars. And God does not change. So... This is our governance because Christ is the word. He, he is the living word when he came. He fulfills. You search the scriptures and in them you think you have life. But these are that which speak of me. So this is our constitution. Not that constitution. Because we're the people of covenant. We don't do what the Philistines do. The Kenites, the, the Amorites, the Moabites, the Edomites. They can do what they're going to do. When you go out in the walk in the field, you'll see what they're doing. But you come from a house where God, Jesus is the Lord, and you talk about the Lord. So when you walk outside with the Lord, you don't let them tell you how to live your life. You live your life according to the Lord in your house. Because as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Is what Joshua said. So it's the word. It's the word. It's the word. It's the word. Plow the word. Read the word. Read the word. Read the word. Daily devotions. Plow, 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 plow. My wife was laughing the other day with the kind of chuckle wives give with their husbands sometimes. The ladies understand. But um, when I get a new Bible, I always write when I start it. So my, this Bible started July 1st, 2019. And so it's, it used to take me two and a half years to go through the Bible because I take my time. I make notes and I have a journal and stuff like that. But I'm on clip for two years on this time around. But it's funny because it says presented to Joy Brand by Joy Brand. <laughs> 
That was the funny thing. It was like, oh, okay. Well, I just bought it for myself. I just wrote from me to me. It's like, <laughs> hey, it's the word of God. That's a good thing to buy yourself, right? This all came up because my wife just got a new Bible. We're at the bookstore getting a new Bible. And it was like, you know, it was a fun. You know, like when you've had lots of Bibles and they're special, they're very personal, right? You know, Bibles are very personal. And my wife's Bibles, she has it for like five or six years because she just really, it has so much of her life in it. I mean, I'm just like, every two years, I've saved them all. Not that anyone's going to look at my notes, but they'll be there if they want to. They'll be there. So it's the word. Now, we're told about the generations. So think about this. There's three generations listed here. So we're reminded, you tell it to your son and your grandson. That's three generations. And God measures us by three generations. You don't ever see in the Bible where he measures by four in, in, in the same sense. So there's an accountability. So think about this. When we came to the world, when you're a kid, you're kindergarten, or you're growing up, and you're in elementary, whatever, you have your parents and your grandparents in most cases. So you have your you, and you have above and above. So you're the new generation, and you have two generations above you, above and above. It's like we drive around the East Coast in the 60s and 70s in the country car station wagon with my parents going to Wisconsin and Cleveland to visit my grandparents. All four grandparents were alive. So I got mom and dad in the car driving me and Phil and baby Barbie in the car. Pennsylvania Turnpike, then you get to Cleveland, and there's Nanny and Bud, my grandfather, and then we go to Madison and see those grandparents. I was beneath, above, above. Well, then, lo and behold, you live long enough, right? So all of a sudden, now you're here, and you move up. You can't stop it, by the way. You you all, I know well, understand that. You cannot change it or stop it. It just keeps moving equally and fairly and justly time with all humanity. So then you get to a place where all of a sudden, it's like the 90s and late 80s and 90s, and you're married to me and Jennifer, and now we have Hannah... Well, my, great, my grandparents were still alive at that time, so you might have you beneath, above, and above, but it's not really measured that way at the Lord, because that's very brief. It's a pretty brief season if you have, grand, you have kids and they're great-grandkids. That's a briefer season. That's not very, not very as long. Then it comes to your mind and thought process when you're about 60, like me, that all I have left is my dad, and now I'm the above, and it's beneath and beneath. You see, I've got my adult children and my grandchildren, and now I'm above. It's like, next. Hey, you're next. Just keep moving. You're like, I don't want to keep moving, but you just keep moving, because that's just the way it works. You can't stop that. And you might have the great-grandkids, but you know, I've learned this about great-grandkids. You see them in photos, including me with my my great-grandmother, Elise, that the one that immigrated from Norway through Ellis Island in 1905. There's pictures of me when I'm about five or six at the nursing home with my parents, with her, and we're the great-grandkids. But she's like 101, 102. So that, like my dad, when the great-grandkids are around, he likes the noise and the chaos, but it doesn't have the same connection that you would have with grandkids, just in case you don't know that. I've been scouting the future, and I've noticed this. I've noticed this, right? So there's three generations together. We need to think about where we're at and how we're going to fulfill it right where we're at until it's done. There's three generations together. My dad turns 91 in two weeks. When my dad is gone, I just immediately jump forward and take that spot. He's still kind of restraining it, but when he steps into eternity, I move into that spot. 
That's a sobering reality. That's how brief life is. I was going through old surf magazines today, and I saw these ads for Huntington surf shops that don't even exist anymore, Chuck Dent surfboards, and there's John Boozer, and there's the Hawk Brothers and all these guys. They're all gone. If you know your surfers, they're all gone. They're gone. And there's these other people I competed on the tour with. Oh, he died a couple years ago. He died in his 30s. He's my buddy. He died. We don't even know why he died. He just died in his early 50s. And, like, that's the way it works. God reminds the people of covenant there are three generations moving. And he holds you accountable for your children and their children. This really gets my attention because it shows me I have responsibilities of being a grandparent with the word of God for my grandkids. That's what I see. It's making me think like, okay, well, right here you can see it. And again, this is if you have children then they, and then they have grandchildren. Not all do, obviously. But still, even if you don't, you can still, you're still in the timeline of how you can influence those generations. Like I said, it is mercies to a thousand generations. So the generation's still there to influence them and win them. Like Amy Carmichael, who gave up all those things that a woman might want in her 20s and 30s, a man and marriage and all these things. She let those things go, and she rescued all those little girls that were 10-year-old girls, 11-year-old girls, 12-year-old girls. Amy Carmichael gave her life and identity for what could be in being marriage to go serve those young girls, and she served them for decades and left the great legacy. Her husband was Jesus her entire lifetime. The writings of Amy Carmichael are without compromise and extremely powerful. But if you have the children and the grandchildren, then we're reminded in this text that God says, you go together. It's you, your adult children, and your grandchildren. So if you don't have grandchildren, you got to know when they come, you've got to roll with that. That's something you need to be aware of, like your role with grandchildren. I'm certainly aware of it. I see my grandkids and I think, this is why I'm alive. One of the main reasons, certainly in the family structure unit, how can I encourage them in faith? Like I told you on Tuesday night, sometimes when they go running by, like Velzy goes running by, he's like, oh, Lord, bless him. Put your blessings on him, a double portion for his whole life. Oh, hey, what's up, Velzy? Like, you just, you just like, you, like John Corson used to always go around pronouncing blessings on everybody. He used to walk in our neighborhood in Costa Mesa when he lived here. He'd be walking down the neighborhood, he'd walk by my house, he'd be like pronouncing blessings on our home. I was like, <laughs> yeah. So you just pronounce blessings and you bring Jesus into the equation bring Jesus into the equation in the childhood development of their thinking, their cognitive capacities. Let him come to their mind so he can come to their spirit. These generations are in motion and reminded of it. And it's a short cycle. And if we have a good cycle that we receive from our grandparents to our parents, good for us. If we received a bad cycle, we need to break it and we need to turn it around. And we need to turn it around for all the people we love that are beside us and beneath us and even below us after that. we got to break cycles that are contrary to the good will and good purposes of Jesus Christ in our life, in our homes. We just have to break those cycles. We just, we have to. We can't, we can't take evil that we've received from previous generations and give those to coming generations. That's completely unacceptable. It doesn't have to be that way in Jesus' name, so it shouldn't be. Like I said recently, there comes a point where you quit blaming your parents for things. You should, if you ever did, it's convenient, but there comes a point where like, you know what, you're like 50 years old. Quit blaming your parents. You know what I'm saying? Like you just, you just gotta accept what, you know, it's you and figure it out. 
and humble yourself and let God work. But you see right there, I command you, you, your son, and your grandson. And then when your son asks you, why do we do this? He's asking because he's seeing it. What could be greater than your children or your grandchildren asking you, why do we do this? And you can walk them through it. Why, why do we believe that our origin is creation, a literal six days? Why do we believe that God made men and women separate? Why do we believe that he would never put a boy in a girl's body and a, and a girl in a boy's body? Why do we believe that? Why do we believe that marriage is a man and a woman? Why do we believe that this is right and this is wrong? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. O Jesus, what is the great commandment? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus is Lord, that's why. Then finally we see, so we, we just keep that in mind that it's moving, we need to see it, and it should create urgency. So it's like click, 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 click. So whatever part we're in, whether you're beneath and there's above and above, or you're in the middle, you, there's beneath and above, or you're like where I'm about to be, here and below and below. <laughs> it's so funny. I remember when people despised my youth in ministry. It was my favorite passage, let no one despise your youth. You don't need that when you're 60. <laughs> it just doesn't, it doesn't apply anymore. There's a day, in, in 1991, it applied in Virginia Beach. It does not apply in 2021 in Orange County. We're just moving along. And then you see just how it's to be lived, that this is real in our home. This is real in our lives. It's real in our marriages. It's real in our personal life, even if we live by ourselves. It's real, real, real. So again, I come back to this final part. So we have his word to guide us. We have these moving generations that are connected together, and we are connected together. Under, you know, under, above, above, and then in the middle, and then at the top, beneath, beneath, and then gone. And so it all comes back to today. Today shall be in your heart. And isn't life a collective gathering of todays that are well-lived? Isn't that the legacy of our life, of todays with good decisions? Because we have today, and we talk about this all the time. Jesus gives us today. He doesn't give us tomorrow. We can't change yesterday. It's always about today. So today, Moses says, think about this, Moses about to step into eternity. Today shall be in your heart. I command you, put the word in your heart. And you'll teach them diligently, not flippantly, but diligently. So the diligent effort to grow in the word and, and reproduce it in your spouses and to, to expand it in your children, in your children's children. That's what, that's what it says, and that's what we want to do. I want my grandkids to ask me, why do we worship like that? I, I don't want to just be the culture of how they grew up with the Gallagher's and Vero Beach and, all, and everyone goes to church and they do all these things. It can't just be social and community. It has to be faith and conviction. It has to be the spirit. Or whether it's the grandkids here. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. This is where we really get to it. Do we talk about his word? Do we talk about Jesus? His promises, his person, his faithfulness. Do we talk about it in our house with our spouses? When we're alone in our home, if we live by ourselves, do we think about the Lord? Do we talk to the Lord? In other words, is everything the Lord? Because he's meant, to, he's meant to be everything. He's, he says that you're going you're gonna to talk about the Lord and his word when you sit in your house. What could be more edifying for your home and your marriage and your children than to have the word of God 
over your house. It's so funny, my kids, you know, they all went, they all, all of our kids, by the grace of God, have complete, total Christian education, pre-K through high school, all of them. Different schools for some of them, like Hannah, Calvary Vista Christian, Santa Fe Christian, and North Burlington, Vermont Christian Alliance Kindergarten. But from start to finish, they had that. Of course, y'all remember the early 2000s, like the Left Behind series, so they all remember being terrified by Left Behind, right? It's good memories. It's good memories. You should be terrified about being left behind. It's good memories. Their principals, their youth pastors at Calvary Costa Mesa, all those chapels. Hey, the youth pastors might have come and gone, but the word of God kept going forth. All those memories, you know, like when Pastor Chuck spontaneously walked outside and gave Hannah a $10 bill. He always loved Hannah. You know, if Pastor Chuck gives you 10 bucks, that's pretty special, trust me. <laughs> She's never forgotten that. Over everything. Taking the family to Harvest Crusades. Taking them on the tours with Worship Generation. Being roadies, selling the merchandise, all that stuff. Find ways to bring your children, young or old, into the equation of your faith. Not like this, just the way we do it, but like, no, this is like, your kids should see joy in the Lord, whether they're 30 or 3. They should see the joy of the Lord in your life. They should see peace. They're not going to see perfection. They've all seen dad blow a gasket. (laughs) But they've seen repentance and faith and restoration. They need to see it. And if they don't see it, then they know it doesn't match up with everything else. I remember Pastor Brian saying in the early 90s at Calvary Vista, he goes, we know what goes on your home because your kids talk about it in children's ministry. (laughs) I was like, oh, note to self, be aware of that one. (laughs) That was right when Anna was born. I always remember him saying that. But it's the whole family. It's, It's these generations and it's, it's everything. And when you walk in the way, so when you, that means by the way, I mean, you're, you're going outside, you're in the real world. Your kids live in a real world. And they need to see, they need to see our faith in the real world when there's conflict or difficult things or unpleasant things. They, they need to see it. Not just when they were younger, because many of us, our kids are now adults, but they need to see, they need to know that There's not always fairness in life, right? You don't always get the job because you're the best qualified person. They learn the word nepotism early on. It's a big word. It just means that it's in the family and you're not in the family. So you don't get the job they do. That's nepotism. You're not the coach's kid. Coach's kid is always the starting pitcher. Coach's kid is always the starting quarterback. That's how it works, Luke. Oh, then why am I even trying? I don't know. You want to go surfing? Pee-wee football. Luke's hell week. He's like, I have no chance. Two weeks, two days of practice, he goes, I have no chance to be the running back, the quarterback, the wide receiver. Those three dads are all the dads, and their kids are already talking about the positions they're playing. So what do you want to do, Luke? I want to go to the beach. It's summer. You know what I'm saying? Life's not fair. They need to know. They, when you walk in the way, sometimes the neighbor, he tries to move the boundary of the yard. You're like, hey, Caleb, what are you doing, man? That's our part of the field. No, it's not. Like, I mean, that happens in life, doesn't it? Your kids need to see that. But they need to see your faith over that when they confront that. When they're younger, then when they're older. They need to see us handle things where we're trusting Jesus and how we handle them. We've got to let that go.
The best thing is when your kids want to defend you. And I guess, okay, guys, God's got this. Let's just let this go. No, Dad, that's not right. And I'm going to just let it go. It's all good. They need to see that from you, from us. And if you don't have the kids, then this generation needs to see that from you, and the church needs to see it from you too. That's what we need to show, that faith and trust. Our DNA is in our hands, so he says, whatever you touch, so you know, where you're, you'll bind them on your hand. So our hand should be the word of God, your fingerprint. Boom, word of God. There it is, like you touch it. Oh, there's the word of God. You walked in the room for five minutes. The word of God all over it. That's what it should be. Your eyes are seeing everything through the prism of faith. Could it scope those things? You know, like, it's always faith. Your eyes should see things through faith, with the eyes of faith. And again, when you lie down, when you wake up, I mean, that's, that's the one that really challenges me. You know what I thought about this? When you lie down, well, that's the last thing you're thinking of is God's word. I can't say that God's word is the last thing I'm thinking of every night. Sometimes I've stewed about like, <laughs> Sometimes I'm stewing about things. It's much better to think about God's word than things you have no control over late at night. You'll sleep better. It's the first thing you think of when you wake up. It's bookended. This is how we're to be. And on the doorpost of our gate, you know, now we're not going to, we might do this literally, but what it really means is like, you go off to work, Jesus goes with you. You come home from work, Jesus comes home with you. You walk to the front door, there's Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's what it means. And it's not religion. It's not legalism. It's just anticipation of the coming king and the glory that we're going to. We're leaving a glory that can't be kept to go to a glory in Jesus' name that can't be lost or taken from us. We're just preparing ourselves. We're people of heaven and our hearts and minds are set on heaven. And the more that we can fulfill verses 6 through 9, the better off it is for us, the people we live with, in the world we go out into every single day. This is the way that life is meant to be lived. Isn't it? Is this not the way life's meant to be lived? This is what Jesus taught. But for us, he is our fullness. For he said, if you abide in me and I in you, and my word abides in you, you will ask what you will, and it'll be done for you. And greater works than these you will do when you ask them in my name. So I'm thinking tonight, I should be asking more. I should be giving more and asking more. Not because I'm earning it, but because my vision is clear and I'm expecting it. Because eyes not seen nor ear heard those things that God has prepared for them. And the eyes, Lord, go to and fro over the face of the earth, looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. I intend to shine very brightly in this final season of the human experience. And I intend to encourage anyone that's willing to listen to me to do the same, whatever season they're in. Because it's click, 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 click. Right? Hero Israel. The Lord our God is one. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, that you will love your neighbor as yourself.